You're listening to the Rich State of Mind Show, the podcast made to make you the total package in the entrepreneurial world and give you what we call a rich state of mind. If you are here looking to learn about real estate investing, marketing, elevating your business, and developing your mindset to get to the next level, then you are at the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join our community on richstateofmind.com. Now here's your host, Anthony Ritchie. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 61 where I'm talking to Evan Harriman. Evan is the host of the Whole Person Podcast and is passionate about helping people master personal development from a faith-based perspective. He is a licensed pastor and successful real estate agent in Tulsa, Oklahoma. After becoming frustrated for years trying to master personal development, Evan quit trying on his own and committed to becoming a mentee. He started learning from others, experiencing success in the areas of life he was passionate about, which is faith, family, finances, friendships, fitness, and fun. Please uh, enjoy this episode. It's the first episode of season three. Uh, I think it'd be great um, for those of you that are new to the show. Uh, we try to cover all different aspects of being entrepreneurs, being successful in life, and being influential to those that you uh, have impact on. So thank you for listening. Please enjoy. Hey, Evan, thanks for taking the time this evening. I really appreciate uh, you on this episode. Uh, you will be actually the start of season three. So if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Evan Herman, and I not only am an entrepreneur who sells real estate, who also has a broker associate license, uh, that way I could manage an office if I wanted. I also am a reverend and I'll be ordained here shortly. And so I have many different areas of life that I'm operating in. So right now I have my real estate business, my podcast and YouTube channel I'm developing to be a business. And then the starting of a recent ministry, even though that's a nonprofit, you set things up very business wise. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm all about biblical living and living life as an entrepreneur. So I want to first start off with what led you to being a pastor or reverend? Right. So I don't feel like I had a choice, to be honest. And it was never forced or pushed on me. Um, I was at church camp when I was seven. And it was the last day of church camp. And there was just this altar call, which is basically like, hey, if you want prayed for, come up to the front. But yeah. specifically, they said, if you feel like you're supposed to be in the ministry, come forward and we'll pray for you. Dude, I was seven. I wanted to be a cop, a firefighter. I wanted to be a good guy. Like that, that's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And as I was, I was sitting there in the pew, I heard God say, Evan, that was supposed to be you up there. And I just remember my heart was grieved. And then I was too scared to get out of my seat because I didn't want to get in trouble for getting up during the prayer. Yes. Since I was seven, I knew that I was called to be in the ministry. And ironically, man, even when I graduated college in 2010, you know, dude, I've been trying to get into ministry for years. I followed men who promised me, you know, like, yes, follow me and help me. And, you know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll make you as an associate pastor. And they never did. And I helped three different men plant churches and two, all of them failed, but only one of them was a good dude, you know? And so there's just a lot of heartache. And I finally got to the place where I was just like, screw this. I'm not going to do it anymore. And I don't, I don't want to be in ministry. I can't like all the doors are shut. So I stopped. I gave up because not being able to do it hurt. And so I let that dream and I let that desire go because of the pain of not doing it. Fast forward four years later, um, I, <laughs> in November, I was sleeping. I heard God speak, Evan, I want to do a new thing in an old way. I want to bring back tent revivals across this nation. And I want you to be one of the ones that do it. And then from, like two weeks later, I meet a couple who all throughout Russia and Asia did tent revivals. And then I start meeting other evangelists and doors of opportunity for ministry open to me like they've never opened before and opportunities to go do that that I've never had before. And I was like, well, 
I got to start a ministry because I can't fund all this myself. And so naturally, the doors opened for me after a very long time. And there's a whole bunch of lessons and principles in there that we can get into too, if you want to later. Well, my first question, what's a, what's a tent revival? So a tent revival, um, a lot of us nowadays don't, don't know it, but back in you know the 50s and 60s, people would gather under large tents. You know, some of these tents could hold up to 22,000 people, smaller ones, you know, two, 3,000, and even smaller ones, several hundred. And they, there would be a minister who would come to town and they would preach the gospel. And typically it was followed up by healings and miracles of people that had elements that were getting healed. And so that is the old style revival. Um, and I believe that God is wanting to do something similar in our country today because a lot of Christianity is not followed up by signs and wonders. You said, what was that last part? A lot of Christianity is not followed up by what? Signs and wonders. So when Jesus said in the great commission, before he ascended to heaven, after his crucifixion, so he rose again, but before he ascended to heaven, he said, when, when all the people gathered, he says to the believers, I have commanded you to go forth unto all the world and preach the gospel, to lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover and to go cast out demons and they will be healed. Signs and wonders, okay. some miracles and stuff. Got, gotcha, gotcha. Yes, because that that is not the, and I told my father about that often. Uh, and we could go down a rabbit hole as far as why that, that doesn't happen to, in today's time. Uh, but well, it now, does, just not here in America too much. Yeah, yeah that part too, right? It, and, and again, like I said, rabbit hole. Uh, right. There's Sorry. so many different discussions yeah. on that. Uh, and that could end up being the whole episode. So, <laughs> but uh, I will, I would say that it's don't, I, for me, I wouldn't want to wait on that in order for me to make my move because it, it very well may end up being something that is uh, so drastic. It may not be I'm like, oh, I didn't want all that. I just need a little sign. Like it's, it's one of those things where be careful what you wish for kind of type of thing, because uh, in, in our belief is, uh, you know, God's going to give you what you need, not what you wanted per se. I, I can see some of what you're saying. My, the way I look at it is God, I ask that my desires line up with your will. Mm-hmm. And that if he puts the desires in my heart, I hopefully that those are also God's desires for my life. Yeah. And so, you know, one of my goals and desires in life is to be like a gazillionaire. Um, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I don't want to make my money from ministry. I I would much rather make money doing business and then give all my time to ministry, you know? So, and then, yeah. And then, well, I guess let me make sure I articulate myself better. The journey, the journey along the way may not be how you wanted it, but it's going to be how you needed it. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, now, now we're in agreement. <laughs> yes. 100%. That's, that's what I really meant. Sorry. Gotcha. Uh, so uh, next thing is, and I, I, after this episode, I got to make sure I tell you some more about that topic, but uh, what made you want to be a real estate agent? Dude, because I got fired from so many jobs before. Oh, dude. So I graduated uh, college, tried to go into ministry right away because I had a degree in theology and nobody was hiring. Uh, people were still feeling the effects of kind of the depression in 2008 and mm-hmm. churches didn't, weren't hiring. Oh, and by the way, I had a theology degree and it wasn't business. So I couldn't get any really good jobs either in the real world. Theology is different. Yeah. And so I, I uh, worked at a lot of different odd jobs, a lot of part-time, a lot of temp. I worked for some private businessmen who were just terrible human beings um, and basically financially screwed me. And I've learned lessons from hard knocks, but I had over 21 jobs in four years. Oh, wow. A few things happened. Again, part-time temp jobs, a lot of them. But then when I would get a boss that I didn't like, uh, or that would treat me poorly, I would stand up for myself. I wouldn't let people walk over me because I was so done with being bullied in my life. And that caused me to get fired a few times. And then there were some times where probably some lack of maturity on myself caused me 
to depart early from some places. Uh, but at the end of the day, I take full responsibility even for the bad bosses because I'm the one that chose to work there or work for that person. And so what led me to real estate specifically after going through all that craziness, I was working at a hardware store and we had a daughter that passed away. She was a premature stillborn. And then a few weeks later was Mother's Day. And I asked off for Mother's Day and I didn't get it. A couple months go by, Father's Day. And I, I asked off two weeks in advance for Father's Day. And they knew why. It was our first child. And I was completely broken those two days. Like I was not, I was not really effective at work. I was just kind of crying in the corner most of the time. <laughs> but it hurt that they wouldn't let me have off. It hurt that I couldn't spend those times with my wife when she needed me and I needed her. And I never wanted to work for someone like that again. And I made a decision then that I want to control my schedule. I want to value my time. And I didn't know what I was going to do because I already had insurance uh, licenses, but I hated insurance. It was very, it's very corrupt. And then a gentleman came up to me who knew me. He's like, you ever thought about being a real estate agent? And I said, well, I've always wanted to be an investor. And he just kind of talked to me about real estate. And I was like, you know what? This makes sense. Let's do it. Yeah. And then I haven't looked back since. And I've been doing it for eight years. And it's the most consistent thing I've ever done. And it's the, you know, I make more money doing this. And I, again, I've even got my broker's license. So who? Which I'm going to ask about that too in a second. So you remind me of me because I got fired from every single one of my jobs before I joined the Navy. And so I remember my mother was like, just don't get kicked out the Navy because, <laughs> you know, I don't know what we're going to do if you don't, you know, if you just, this doesn't work for you either. And I, ain't gonna lie, I had a little bit of anxiety too. Like, all right. And, Cause I'm a hard worker. It's just, I don't know, just one thing after another where I just ended up getting fired. Uh, so that was a little bit of anxiety for me, but 12 years later, um, still here. So sounds like we just needed to find what worked for us. Right. And so eventually you went into being a broker. Why is that? Well, I got my broker's license this year uh, at the very beginning of the year and it would just provide more options. Um, I've thought about starting my own brokerage and I was kind of moving that direction. And then the whole ministry thing popped up and I was like, Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go do that. Um, but I still wanted to follow through with getting my broker's license. You know, maybe I'll be a, a broker owner, but not a manager. I, I don't know. What's the difference? A broker owner is a broker that owns a real estate agency, but doesn't manage it. Ah, okay. So I'd need another broker to do that. Uh, and I'd just be the back end. And then uh, how, how does the uh, commission work with you being the owner uh you still get paid from the real estate agents? Y'all split the, you split 50 50 with the broker, the other broker? No. So, well, I mean, hypothetically, it would be a 70 30 split. The agent gets 70, we get 30. And out of the $30, whatever expenses that we have, those expenses get paid, including, you know, paying the other broker or whatever. And then whatever's left, either reinvested back into the company or I draw a small salary. Which is not bad if you're, it's really passive. Yeah. So, that's actually not a bad way of making passive income. Right. Uh, how long, uh, what was harder, your broker license or your real estate agent license? I'm going to say my real estate license. I've heard Don't get me wrong, the broker's before. license is, it's hard. Like 90% of the people fail. Um, but I think because I was doing it for already eight years and I already knew a lot of stuff that it just naturally helped me because I just knew, you know, at least, 40% of the answers right off the bat just because I've been doing it so long. So that, that was nice. You have a, um, you have a, a statement in your bio that said uh, master personal development from a faith-based perspective. Uh, what did you mean by that? Yeah. So a lot of people in terms of personal growth, look to individuals here in the U S around the world for, keys of, of personal growth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I also don't want to throw out the Bible and ignore that. 
there's a lot of things in the Bible that all of the things derive from. And if the Bible is truth and the word of God, then making it applicable in my life would be the best thing that I could ever do and learn from that. And so when I look for things that I need to grow in in my life, I look at scripture and how that applies. Uh, Not taking scripture out of context because some people might try to do that, but in biblical context, what the scripture says and how it's applicable to me, where I'm at in my situation. So let's take a great example since, you know, we want a, a, a rich mind and we want to leave legacies and financial wealth for our family. The Bible talks about money more than almost any other subject Yes, in the Bible. And one of the specific things is not going into debt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got a degree from college. That was a pretty penny. Got a mortgage. Bought two cars with loans. Bought a storm shelter worth a loan. And I just realized we were so financially strapped. There was no margin. And in 2019, we had one of the worst years we've ever had in our life financially. We had eight financial things hit. And I wasn't working for probably about five months. I, you know, I hadn't, I had a, a knee injury. It took a month for me to have surgery. And during that month, I wasn't working just because I wasn't really mobile. I, I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. I, you know, it was hard to sit. And so trying to get out was just difficult. And then when I had surgery, my therapy took a little bit longer than anticipated. And so I didn't work for a while. And I just remember being strapped. And I made the decision even before. Here's what's funny. I made the decision to get out of debt before the crap hit the fan, before the eight financial things happened to us. And I find that ironic because it was the world's way of saying, oh, you don't mean what you say. You want to get out of debt. Oh, we see, we see you paying down your student loans as fast as you can. You know what? Let's just uh, take you out of work for five months. Let's, let's cause a car wreck. Let's have uh, a miscarriage. Let's have four emergency visits. Let's have you know, your only other operating vehicle go down and you have no cars. Mm-hmm. And I remember when that happened, I had a choice. When, when literally we had zero cars to go get debt, get a car, or figure out a way. my wife couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel because the tunnel was very dark and very long. And I am hopeless. I am hopelessly optimistic. And I just said, no debt. I drew the line in the sand. And this is my decision. I, you know, some people can call that male egotistical or whatever. I call it leading my family. I decided I'm making the decision for the overall good of my family. I'm looking at the long-term effects versus the short-term pain. Pain versus pleasure. And I said, no debt. So we had no cars and we had no way of getting to work. And then the found out that the, um, like a week, week and a half later that the insurance company started paying for a car for us. And then right around that time, we were given a car to uh, borrow for six months. So we had two vehicles. Uh, the insurance company paid for a um, rental vehicle for us for about a month, actually, until we got the car that was in the wreck back. And what's so unique is we had a week of no vehicle. But at the beginning of the week, it felt like it would be an eternity because we couldn't see the answers a week away. So for a week, we were fighting this dilemma. Should we get into more debt? Should we not? Like, it would have been very easy for me to try to take control over my own circumstances and my own situation and out of my own power and out of my own ability to create the answer and solution. But biblically speaking, God says, oh, no man, nothing. And so I chose to go with the Bible and say, God, I can't do anything in my own ability to fix a situation. So the only way it will be rectified is if you step in. 
and he did. And another reference, <clears throat> Proverbs references, uh, the borrower is, uh, is slave to the lender. <clears throat> and so uh, especially if somebody is a Dave Ramsey person, uh, okay. they're really big on the debt snowball, paying off debt. It, uh, it loosens up your purse a bit. Uh, right. It allows you a lot of flexibility. So when you have multiple things that go wrong, and which they will, that's just how life is, uh, you will have the flexibility to be able to pay for these things yeah. and not. Uh, so my grandma makes a, a reference when you find when you stretch yourself thin financially and one thing goes bad, uh, you're she calls it one step away from oblivion because you are, you know, you're going to have to take that money out of your rent or your mortgage to now pay for this emergency. And now uh, you risk yourself being a foreclosure, you know, ob oblivion, living on the street. And so I'm really big on, uh, like you said, leading your family. I'm really big on creating barriers around my family. So when things go around wrong, I have that barrier. It is now an inconvenience and not a crisis. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and well, so, it, go ahead. Yeah. And so with what you were saying too, you know, here, here's the other part of that story. I made a switch in companies where I started making 30% more. My wife got a different position at the same job that paid her 50%. We started making 80% more than where we were. We were two grand above poverty line financially. So we made enough not to get help, but not enough to like really live on. And we had two kids. It's frustrating. Yeah. And so what ended up happening is finance, our financial situation changed, but instead of now we have more money and like blowing it, we paid down our debt fiercely. We paid off the storm shelter. We paid off the student loan. We paid off the car and we paid off um, the car that I crashed. But then fast forward a few months, we got pregnant again and we knew and we needed a minivan. We had cash and we paid for the van in cash. But before that, when we replaced that borrowed vehicle and we got a vehicle, that also happened in cash. And I hunted for good deals and I waited and I was patient until God brought the good deal along. And when I recognized it as him working, I moved. And so very quickly, towards the end of 2019, we started eliminating debt. And then 2020, believe it or not, was one of the best years of our lives financially. And for the, those that persevered, uh, I have heard that is pretty, pretty consistently is that 2020 was still a good year for them, uh, yeah. despite what was going on. And I, I'm really big on adapting. And so I can't speak for everybody's situation. And so, cause a lot of people will, will say and legitimately have a legitimate reason to say that 2020 wasn't a good year due to X, Y, Z because of COVID. Right. Um, but I also will be the person that said that, that will say, okay, it's expected that things will not go as, as planned in life. How are you going to react when those things happen? Um, yeah. And there's always a, there's always a way, maybe a little bit of a setback, but I don't believe in a setback so much so that, uh, you have completely, you've allowed, you've now to the point where you've allowed things to be derailed versus right. a setback. Well, and, and you're hitting the nail on the head. You know, a lot of people, whether Christian or not, either blame the universe for bad karma or the devil for bad things. When in reality, it's just their own stupid decisions. Yes. You know, and that's why I'm a huge fan of learning how to take personal responsibility even if it doesn't feel like it's my responsibility. And so like when 2020 happened, you know, I just made the decision that this was going to be my best year. Like that's what I told myself. And then, you know, let, let's go back to personal growth. And the Bible says, do all things without grumbling or complaining for this is right. And so I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to complain that we're locked up in my house. I'm not going to complain that there's no more school. I'm not going to complain 
that there's a food shortage, that prices are going up. I'm not going to complain. And so many other things are attached to that. Yes. When I didn't complain about prices going up, it's because I recognize God as my provider. And I can trust in him for opportunities to put my hand onto. I can't always create opportunities to happen for myself, but I can be prepared for when the opportunity presents itself. You know, I can't remember who said this, but the definition of luck is when preparation meets opportunity. That's where we need to be. I like that saying. And speaking of personal growth, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your frustration and uh, your journey of your personal growth. (laughs) Man, so I was one of these individuals who've always wanted to be a high performer, but felt like I failed and could never do anything right. I always came up short. And I had this perfect version of myself, of who I was trying to be. And through a guest on my own podcast, he showed me that not only is that idolatry towards God, but that's also self-hatred. Okay. And the reason why it's idolatry towards God is because I created an image of myself, of what I wanted to be like. Okay. That was an idol instead of trying to be like Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. So fictitious Evan Herman from the future, that's who I wanted to be like. But it was also self-hatred because I had a hard time not liking myself who I was in the present because I fell in love with the idea of the guy in the future. And because I wasn't him, I couldn't like myself. Okay. That makes sense. So it wasn't until I started to learn how to love myself that I start being able to grow and change. And then in conjunction with that, I went through some therapy for some anxiety that I struggled with that brought a lot of healing and deliverance from things that I didn't know that I struggled with, you know, like the fear of death. COVID scared the hell out of me when we didn't know what it was for for a little bit. And I think it did with a lot of people. I was scared to die because I've also had over, well, on average, since 2008, one close person in my life die each year. This year has been a really good year. That hasn't happened. And so I've had a lot of friends die. I've had two of my best friends die in a plane crash. I had a mentor fall off of a mountain. I had a mentor who, when he was 28 and I was 22, died of a brain aneurysm. I've seen three people die in front of me. I was scared of death. But I was so scared that it stopped me from living. And I was mourning my own death, even when it hadn't happened. I was projecting something that would happen in the future and mourning that, something that I'd never experience. I would never experience my own loss. But when I realized that, that that's what was happening, it was literally an immediate switch in my life. Now, I've also made plans for death. Like, okay, I I created a will. Now I know my kids are going to take care of it. I have life insurance, you know, my family set if something happens to me and I don't have to live in fear over those things. And so that all started out of learning how to love myself. I lost like 40 pounds. Um, I gave up, you know, my addiction to soda and I had healing and deliverance from being addicted to pornography for over 20 years. So much healing and deliverance came when I was able to change my identity from what I wanted to be to a biblical identity of the new man created in Christ Jesus. And so many times we deal with self-esteem issues. We deal with identity issues. And so when we want to grow personally, I'm not, yes, I look for formulas and I learn from other men, but when it comes to my identity, I find that in Christ. Uh, uh, so, I wanted to hit on that too. So one thing you said, you said luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. That was a quote you said, right? No, someone asked the definition of luck one time to some other guy and he said, it's when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, Roman philosopher, Seneca, I'm probably not even saying that, Seneca, I think it was the person. That, that old was, dude. Yeah, yeah, that old guy. Um, I want to talk about what you said as far as, yes, you may get certain methods from let's just say secular individuals or individuals yeah. that that's what they focus on. Uh, but your, your archetype, your main 
uh, path is still on the Christ-like path. And right. so um, I'm glad you kind of uh, broke it down like that, because one thing is, and like whether you're Christian or let's just say you have particular principles that you just live by, uh, that you won't move because, you know, based on your morality, your values and stuff like that. Um, don't, you need to learn how to filter. And so I may like that this guy is a good businessman, but maybe um, I'm not too sure. I don't really, you know, vibe with how he, maybe he treats his family. And so I may just take that piece, that positive piece out from it and make sure I still stay on track with my godly path uh, right. or my Muslim path or my principles of my family, my family crest path, you know? You know, it's funny. One of my favorite guys to listen to about personal growth is Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't even know who that is. That sounds- oh, dude, you got to look him up. Okay. He's awesome. He cusses like a sailor. Like every other word is almost a cuss word. He has a lot of wisdom too. And so I really enjoy some of the practical applications and his thought processes and how he learns and discerns and his strategic thinking and self-awareness, like those things I draw from. And then I take them back and say, all right, scripture, yay or nay. And then I see what scripture says about those things, but also what God says about that current situation. And so, you know, I've learned more about self-awareness probably from Gary Vaynerchuk than I've probably learned anywhere else other than my relationship with God, making me aware of different things. Yes. And so perfect, perfect example about filtering out because right. you obviously don't want to, you being a reverend, you don't want to pick up his habit of uh, using profanity. <laughs> yeah. I might drop the H E double L hockey sticks or crap every once in a while. I can't judge on that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so I want to ask, cause you mentioned about, well, you know, and so my condolences, you mentioned about one of your mentors passing away and yeah. then throughout. So throughout the time, your journey, your personal growth journey, uh, at what point did you realize you needed a mentor and then how did you obtain? one? Uh, I would say from a very young age, I learned that. And it wasn't like someone said, hey, you need a mentor, but I naturally gravitated towards men who had good things going on in their life because I wanted to learn and grow. Like I just have this innate thing in me that wants to learn and grow. It's not something that I've had to, I mean, yes, it is something that I've had to develop, but it's just always been there. So to say like, this is how you're going to not have it and then one day get it. It's harder for me to talk about that. But if that someone is struggling with that, there's this, quote in the Bible that says iron sharpens iron. So does one man sharpen another. So you have to be around people that you want to grow and learn from. And if there's areas of struggle in life, find someone who does well in that area successfully and learn from them, whether you invite yourself to a conversation. And oftentimes that's how relationships start. You don't get down on one knee and say, Hey, will you mentor me when you first meet them? But invite them for a coffee, invite them for another one, invite them for another one, invite them for another one. And then naturally it just happens. And here's the other thing too. If you, if you are one of those individuals who are so lucky that gets one mentor and it's like in their lives forever in a long time, and that's like your person, that is so incredibly rare. And so many people look for that person when in reality, it's so many people around you. It's the guy who was the volunteer at my youth group when I was in middle school. And then it was also my friend who was, well, my mentor, Hugo, who barely spoke any English, who taught me guitar. And then it was Gary DeVoe, the man who fell off the mountain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then it was, you know, Michael Eddins, uh, a guy from church. We had, dude, okay, this is funny. Okay. I remember we had a sermon on Father's Day about being a father to people and mentorship and stuff. And I had been out of college and I didn't have a mentor because like the two of mine died. 
I was so hurt. I was so broken. And I was mad and angry that I had no one to go to. My marriage was difficult. I didn't know if we would last and it was a new marriage. No ministry job opportunities were opening up to me. I was in a bad, dark place. And then they have this, you should have a mentor. And you should, you know, and I, I was, I, I was pissed. I was angry because I wanted one and I didn't have one and I couldn't find one. And I just said, God, you're the father. You pursue me. I've tried. And I'm saying this throughout the whole sermon. And then after the sermon, this guy walks up to me. I've never met him before. He says, hi, my name's Michael Eddins. I'd like to take you out to lunch. My wife knew who he was because she was a, an assistant manager at the time at, at a bank and she knew him by um, doing some work in a, in a similar branch for a few, for a few weeks. And she really liked, liked him and, you know, told me I should meet him a long time ago and, but it just never happened. And so for me, it started early. It's been an old, a desire that I've always had. And then when they died, God brought the next one into my life. And it didn't happen as soon as I wanted, but it came at the right time. And so I said all that to say, like, it's not going to be typically one specific person, but you're going to have many different people and you have to be open to that. And I think, uh, and like you said, it's extremely rare to find out one person, but also maybe... I may be finding it a little maybe unfair to expect everything out of one person. Yeah. Uh, they have obligations and maybe other people that they're mentoring. So to put all that responsibility on one person, I think maybe a little unrealistic, uh, unless you have some bit, bit of nepotism. Yeah. Well, and even peer mentoring too, you know, I, dude, I have a friend who I'm getting ready to go hang out with. I mean, he was 30 under 30 here in Tulsa. He, He's a very successful businessman. We're the same age. He's one of my best friends. And while he's not a specific mentor, but it's a peer-to-peer -peer mentorship where I'm learning from him and hopefully he's learning from me. Mm -hmm. I've, I've even had guys that were younger than me mentor me before. That's awkward, but it's humbling. 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 It's very humbling, but I learned a lot. No, and then that's one thing I've, I've also, I've had a lot, a lot of conversations with my father about that. Uh, <clears throat> we grow up where we say we're supposed to respect our elders, right? And when we get older, we're able to, and I'll say not even older, when we start having certain responsibilities, i.e. We, we have a wife now or a husband now, we have kids now, and now we're making some of the same decisions that our parents or the older people that we were supposed to respect um, now we have the same responsibilities that they had and we were able to realize, um, just because somebody's older than me does not necessarily mean they're wiser than me. And, uh, you, and the same goes for you. I may be 25. There may be a 20 year old that's been through some things that could probably tell me some things. And so I don't think wisdom is synonymous with age. I think it's based off the experiences that we go through and then how we grow from those experiences. Or maybe somebody else, we were blessed enough to have that mentor that came in our life and they're passing down the wisdom so that we don't have to go through the experience and, you know, all the emotions and, you know, uh, financial hardships that bad decision provides. And we could just skip all that and go straight with the wisdom. Right. Well, what would you say is one of the most profounding things that you feel like you've learned from a mentor? I think the most, one of the most profound things I learned from a mentor was being able to take control of my, my life. And when I say by this, my, my time, he broke up, he broke up my life in a, in a week. Monday was, uh, Monday was, you know, when I was an infant to 11 year old, 11 years old, uh, Tuesday was, 12 to 20, so on and so forth until Sunday was pretty much from 60 to 70. And he's like, okay, you're 30 years old. At the time, 
let's I'll just use this phrase like I'm 30 years old at the time and I'm in my Wednesday. Okay. Your Monday and Tuesday is gone. What are you doing on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday in order to make sure uh, that you maximize the time while you're obviously still young and able so that your family can benefit? Uh, and what is most important, what are you going to prioritize in those days of the weeks? And so like right now, family is, is priority. What is, what is the, st the status of my family? Are they, are they developing? Are, are we, you know, is our, how's our debt looking? How's our generational wealth going? So that's what uh, helped me because I felt like uh, a lot of us started from zero, right? We started off having to go to school in debt. We started having to get below that zero. <laughs> yeah. We had to get that car loan because we didn't have anything. And so we feel like we're just constantly running, constantly running. And then before we know it, we're in our Thursday and we're like, dang, what, what happened? So that, that was probably the best advice I got that I could think of on the top of my head. And that was about three or four years ago. That's awesome. What about you? Um, I think the best piece of advice I've ever been given, the one that drastically changed me, I've, I've kind of already talked about, you know, the idolatry and learning how to love myself and uh, not have self-hatred. He's not a mentor, but it, it changed my life. Um, from a mentor's perspective, I would say one of the biggest lessons that I've learned was just to keep going and not give up. And that, that was from a guy by the name of Ed Mackey when I was in seventh grade, that volunteer at youth group on uh, Wednesday nights. Because man, I can tell you this, I might not be the best at everything that I'm doing, especially when I start out. But if I'm just persistent further and longer than others, not only do I get better, but then I just start showing up more in real estate or in podcasting or in ministry. Just be consistent, show up and don't give up. When it comes to your journey, whether it was your, you know, your shortcomings, your successes, um, how do you translate that, you know, and sum that up when you are mentoring other people? I think, I think the way I'd, I'd answer that in terms of what my successes and failures are is that learn one don't be afraid to fail um and then don't be discouraged by failure like that that was a huge huge aspect and it kind of hints back at what ed said but that you know failure is a stepping stone in a learning block to success and honestly my failures were some of my greatest teachers and that allowed me to do better the next time and then when I failed again, I'd do better the next time. And so for me, it was just learning and being consistent in my willingness to learn, to adapt, to self-reflect, and to change. That, that would be the biggest thing. And then in terms of overall success, I think each one of us measures success differently. And I think when we put success as in a box of finances, we, we limit it. Yes. For me... If I've gained the whole world, but my children go to hell, I wasn't successful. I agree. So for me, my success, I won't know until 40, 50 years after I'm dead. As if my, if my children will join me in heaven. And the only way that I can have somewhat of an assurance is by what I pour into them now because I only have 18 to 20 years with them here and now. And people are like, oh, well, you can't choose that decision for your children. No, I can't. But I can raise them in such a way 
and teach them in such a way and surround them in such a way that that just becomes their core. Like, look, I mean, I don't, the only perfect example that I know for this is even just my own life. Dude, I grew up in church. I've never walked away from the Lord. I've had dry moments, but I've never walked away from the Lord. I, I didn't, I don't have, I overcame drugs. I was an alcohol. I don't have those incredible life changing transformational stories. I don't. My story is I was freed from drugs. I, let me phrase this. I was delivered from drugs. I was delivered from alcohol. I was delivered from abuse. I was delivered from those things because I never had to go through them. Yes. I want to talk about, you, you spoke on your kids as far as um, the time that you you have to focus and develop them, right? And if you... Yeah. You can't, you know, listen, you save, you know, thousands of souls in, you know, in the ministry, but then your kids end up going to hell. Uh, it, this is nothing against anybody else that is decides to live this way. But for me, I don't like being, I don't, I'm not gonna say I don't like them, but I choose not to be a part of any organizations, fraternities, or any type of group that takes me away from my family, for me, until I meet the particular wickets for my family and my kids, because I don't want to be obligated. The Navy already takes enough out of me. And so I do not want to be obligated to any other type of uh, faction organization that takes my time away from my kids and my, my spouse, because they need me more than ever. I, I, if my house, if if my house is not in order and if my children are developing the best way possible, then I I'm failing. Uh, And then I'm, you know, now I get it. Some people do organizations and fraternities, sororities for fellowship, uh, or even in church for fellowship. Um, so I understand that purpose, but my, for me, my obligation, my, my, you know, my priority is at home. And so you, you also talked about the, the core, right? A lot of people, especially when people want to challenge uh, religion, uh, they'll say, or, or being, a, or in a secular version, being a strict parent, it'll be, they'll say, mm-hmm. well, you can't control what they'll be like when they grow up. So why are you going so hard now? And I think you put it perfectly. You provide a core principles and values and have a, a solid foundation so that when they at least go into the into adult life, they may stray away from your teachings, but not so much so to where you have to worry about them being in an alleyway drugged up. Yeah, train a child up in the ways while they're young. Wait, train the child in the ways that should go while they're young and when they're older, they won't depart. You know, I, there's a guy that I, I talked to a few years ago when I was going through some financial issues. And one of the things that he told me, because I was like, look, we, we want to provide for our children's college, but it feels like we will either have to choose between college or private school now for them. I don't like financially, we can't give to both right now. And he, he said this, he goes, Evan, He goes, if you have to invest in your children, invest in them now. Because by the time they're in college, you miss out on their foundation. So invest financially in them now. And it just made so much sense because I'm thinking like, oh, I want to provide their college. I want to to be a good parent. I I want that to be paid for. It's like, no, actually the most important thing is their development now. I agree. And, uh, Uh, Another thing I I wanted to mention, too, is exposure. Uh, Everybody, you have a blanket, you have a blank slate outside of uh, if you want to talk about um, family strongholds or or, uh, what else is it called? Um, Spiritual strongholds that go from generation to generation. Outside of that, for the most part, you have a blank slate. Uh, You react and do certain things based off the things that you were exposed to. You were exposed to church, right? Um, somewhere down the line, somebody may be exposed to uh, pornography, which now ups- uh, may affect how I look at se- my, uh, my sex life, my sexuality. And so, uh, again, when, you, when it comes to raising our kids and then now we, we wonder why they're doing what they're doing as an adult, it's based off what we ex- allow them to be exposed to. Yeah. 50-50 uh, once they got end up in school, but then that's when the, the parents come and you're supposed to be that, uh, that backup. 
and that yeah. open communication with your kids. Hey, what, what were you exposed to today? What, what conversations were had? Oh, well, they were talking about such and such. All right, let me clean that up and tell you what's really, how that really is supposed to go. Which I'm going to say something that's completely controversial and I'm going to stand by that, which is why I think it's a child abuse when we allow children to be exposed to transgender and sexual issues too young. Yeah. Um, no, you, no, you're right. It's just Dude, sex, it, just sexuality. Yeah. Drag queen is. I would say sexuality as a, as a whole, because at my son's eight, right. And he saw, he saw a YouTube ad. No, it wasn't even a YouTube ad. So he has, you know, kids YouTube. And right. it was talking about the anatomy, weird anatomies, uh, you know, weird human uh, abilities or whatever. And one of the weird uh, ones or situations on the, on the timeline was a man being pregnant, right? So at the age of eight, I had to explain to my son, how was that possible, right? Because the basics for most eight-year-olds when they watch a Disney movie or any other kids show is that, you know, man and woman and woman usually gets pregnant. So what's going on here? Right. And so when you, I think it is not, here's the thing, right? Yes. The world we live in is what's happening. Sexuality, uh, certain communities, whatever, that is a thing. And, but there are appropriate times to bring them up. There are appropriate times to address it to your children. At the age of eight, you should not be your child should not be worried about their sexuality or what is this uh, unnatural situation because there's a difference between normal, right? We have normalized certain things, but there are certain things that are unnatural, and so that is the that is the battle a parent is kind of dealing with in today's time as far as trying to address those certain situations. Because okay, alcohol is normalized, but am I introducing alcohol to my eight year old? No, I'm not. You know what's also normalized? Gluttony. Yeah. I'm, I'm a chief sinner of that. I'm, I've, been working, sinner. <laughs> yeah, I've been working hard on that for, for a while now. But I look at my kids and, and how addicted to, to wanting candy all the time they are. You know, that's not only both something that I struggled with, but it's also something that has been allowed. And then that sets them up for addictions and failures and health issues. You know, yes. it, we, I mean, it doesn't even have to be as drastic as sexuality. It can be as drastic as, as food. And, you know, when I see, when I see these kids who are severely overweight at a very young age, it breaks my heart because it just hinders the quality of life. Yeah, it, it does. Um, and again, right, if you have the time. So here's the thing, right? A lot of people, rat race. Uh, I, I'll put it to you like this. We, I wake up. Huh? They're not intentional. And no, it's not. I wake up at seven. I got to get my kids ready. By the time I got to get myself ready, I go to work at nine, I work from nine to five. As soon as I pick up my, my kids are after school care. I take, by the time I get home at six, it's time to cook dinner. A little bit of time to do homework. Probably 10 to 15 minutes, I have a conversation. And then boom. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I'm rushing and uh, I, mean, I got to get McDonald's, you know. And so sometimes it's uh, environment and other times it is, you know, what we've allowed ourselves to be conditioned to. Yeah. Well, OK, so you just hit the nail on the head. It's what we allow ourselves to be conditioned to. What you focus on expands. So if you if you feel like your world is full of chaos and you're like, oh, man, I'm just so busy. I, I can't I can't go grab. Or I, I can't cook. I you know, what you focus on expands. So if your world is full of chaos, it's only going to be more chaotic. Do you remember in the Matrix when it's like time slowed down and Neo was dodging the bullets? Mm -hmm. That was cool. But you said something that's really profound. How do we slow down time? Now, obviously, we can't slow down actual time, but we can make specific decisions to slow down the chaos and it's by being intentional and the reason why people aren't intentional is because a lot of us specifically americans are lazy we enjoy comfort and coziness in the couch and easy things 
and that that hinders our ability to be intentional. Look, look, let's take my parents for example. My dad, he's a very hard, tough individual. Dude, if he needed to go poop in the middle of the night in wintertime, he had to go to an outhouse in the middle of the snow. Like, that's tough. Me, I just, you know, go into the room next door to me that has a heater or an AC vent that has a switch that I can flip to make it not stink. Like, that is easy. We've conditioned our lives to be easy. And when we condition our lives to be easy, when it's tough, we're lazy. When it's difficult, we're not intentional. And we need to get over that. And the only way we're going to do that is as men and women by doing the things we don't want to do when we don't want to do them. And so I'm big on... um, Go for it. I'm big on creating adversity for our kids uh, because their lives... We worked so that they could live the lives that we didn't, that we didn't. Um, and I'm not going to uh, make sure my son is cold in the middle of the winter, but at right. the same time, what I am going to do is uh, put together, put him in particular situations where it forces him to be uncomfortable and make a, a tough decision for somebody his age or for our teenager, you know, Hey, you know, it's either you work or you go play with your friends at the carnival. What are you going to do? Cause you do have, you have a car to save up for. So yeah. what you, decisions, right. And, and then so, let them suffer the consequences of their decisions. Yes. And so it, that's, that's what, is it, is it time consuming? Yeah. Is it more energy? It is, but it is prepares your kids for the future of when they become adults and they have to make those, we say hard decisions, but really to be honest with you, it's just adulting. Right. And so, uh, you're very passionate, man. I, I can see you was getting emotional when you was talking about certain parts of your life. So I really appreciate your transparency. Uh, what is your big why? What is your rich state of mind as to why you do what you do? I have two. Okay. Well, I take that back. There's three. Um, the first one is God ordained which is living out the heart of God by loving others back to life. And I make decisions in my life based off of that. Does that draw me closer to or away from? Loving others back to life also includes my family. The second one is learning how to control my own schedule because I never want to be in the place where I can't be there for my family when I need to be there. That changed me at a cellular level. And not just not being able to be there for my wife or her for me, But when you got to understand the magnitude of me as a father handing over my daughter's body to the doctor, never to see her or to hold her again, you take that and then tell me only a little bit later, I can't go grieve on Father's Day and get out of here. I'm going to control my life, not you. So I don't want other people to have control over what I can and cannot do. That doesn't mean I break laws or anything like that. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then the last thing is I want to live my life in such a way that I lead my family and my children by example. I love it. And uh, obviously, I can really relate to a lot of these things that you talk about it seems like we've had similar um, upbringings and uh, I don't get to talk about it much, not because I don't, you know, the, the people who I interview don't allow me to, but it's just not appropriate based off the conversation, but it is refreshing to be able to, to speak to somebody who can align. Hey, these are the, this is the way of the world. And these are the things that I need to do. Right. Money is not um, like, I'm not, you know, 
uh, what's it, absolved from being having to spend money. That's that's the way of the world right now. I have to make money in order to take care of my family and can't just, you know, pray to God and hope there's $250 on my porch. Uh, but at the same time, you can align the things that go on this world with your godly path and still move forward and, be, and progress and be successful. And so that's what I, I like. Um, I, I hope people can listen to this episode and identify that as, hey, I guess I'm on the right track because I know, I know, depending on your life there, are, just like for you, you said there was a lot of things that were going bad, right? And easily you could have stepped away and said, you know what, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to be a devil worshiper because those guys over there seem to, things seem to work out for them. They seem to get what they want. All right. Not to you say you have to go to that extreme, but you could have decided to do something else. And, uh, and it speaks to being, staying consistent, staying consistent, staying true to your faith. Uh, and whatever you believe in, in order to um, obviously just hopefully nothing that you believe in, it hurts others, but staying true in what you believe in. And uh, it will it will work out, especially I love how you broke down how you decided to lead your family and, and put your foot down on what you did not want to do, uh, not only because financially it was not going to make sense, but also you was aligning yourself with, you know, what was in the word what was in the Bible. So I really respect you for that. You don't hear a lot about that. You do not hear a lot about how men or uh, what choices uh, men have to do in order to lead their family and then being able to properly lead their family to where their spouse, their wife, uh, has faith in the decision making that they're going to do. So I really respect you for that. Thank you. Well, I had, dude, I had to earn that faith and trust back because after having 21 jobs in four years of being newly married, <laughs> you know, I, I've rebuilt faith and trust over eight years of being in real estate after that. Fair, fair enough. Fair well, enough. <laughs> well, hey, no, I man. got a question for you. What's one, up, man? I want you to come on my podcast, and so we can set that up. And then, two, if you're interested in this, I would be more than happy to be your guest host of your show while you are the interviewee, and I interview you on your own show. Oh, that's different. So we we could do <clears throat> we could either do both or we could do one or the other. Yeah, that's that'd be different oh, because could, it was funny. It's funny because uh, it's funny you mentioned that because you had asked me a question maybe about twenty minutes ago, and I'm sitting here thinking like this is like t- I can't remember the last time somebody's asked me a question on my show. Uh, so yeah, that was different. <clears throat> I probably should ask a few more too. Like I was thinking about that right before you said. I was like, man, I I talked a lot. I should have asked a little bit more. No, 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 you're, no, you're fine. This is, this is your, you know, your time to tell your story. Uh, and it's, it was refreshing to be asked that question because I can really, I can really relate to your story. Um, that's why I said, you know, offline, I would like to, you know, talk to you some more about certain things, you know, about walk with Christ and, uh, and leading family and stuff like that. Cause I'm really passionate about that. And there are our beliefs, our, our standards are they a lot of those principles are unpopular, which is why I try to be very particular on how I speak on particular topics because they can be misunderstood. Right. Um, so like what we talked about as far as exposure to sexuality is probably about as far as I go, because you'll have some people who will be completely be like, oh, man, you know, how dare they? Uh, but at the same time, I think there's a foundation that when it just comes to just being a kid, like. When it comes to being a kid, like there's only but three things they should be worried about. Go to the bathroom on your own, you know, <laughs> listen to your parents and go to school. Like that's all they should be worried about, you know. And so I, I really believe in that and, and other things, like I said, that may be very unpopular. But right. We are all entitled to lead our family in the, in the best way we see how. And like I always kind of joke with my father. Um, you know, hey, you got, you know, you have your beliefs. I have my beliefs in regards to like, you know, people in the world and we'll see where we end up, you know? Right. Hey. Dude, so I live three doors down from my dad and four doors down from my sister. So we all live in the same neighborhood. And what's really funny is my dad and I, three areas we agree on, sports, politics, and religion. Other than that, we don't agree on hardly anything. And it's so funny because I, when I spend time with him, I intentionally try to keep it around those three subjects because if not, we will fight like crazy. And that's actually, 
that's actually pretty good topics that y'all believe in politics and religion. Y'all on the same page. I mean, that's a good start. Yeah, no, it, it is. And what's funny is like, oh, well, you probably learned it all from your dad. Actually not. I mean, I grew up in that environment, but I didn't become political too much later in my own life and wanted to figure out my own way. And um, again, when I decided to get political, I looked inward spirit, not inward to me, but inward to scripture spiritually and, you know, try to figure out what aligned with biblical principles. Oh, no, also, and that's, that's how it works, right? You, you, your parents laid that foundation. And as you got older, you found out your own, uh, in your own interpretation and the way it worked for you, uh, your own personal walk. So, right. but well, I want to, I want to be careful. I, I don't feel like I found my own interpretation of scripture, maybe of politics, but not of scripture because I want to be very careful. A lot of people look at scripture and then want to come up with their own interpretations when in reality it, uh, it means what it means. So real quick, do you, I, I don't like I said, I don't, when I, when I start talking about this, I can go forever. When I say that I'm thinking when I receive it, I apply it to, to me to, okay, how does this, gotcha. how does this apply to me personally or what's going on in my life? Not well. Oh, you're talking about application. Okay. Yes, yeah, yes, that yes. makes sense. No, that makes sense because I thank you for clarifying. Because there's some people that will look at scripture and be like, okay, well, I want it to mean this. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Not at convenience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not at convenience. But hey, man, it's been awesome. Uh, it's dinner time, and oh, sure. really appreciate you, man. We'll definitely link up uh, again after this, man. And uh, I really appreciate your transparency and your passion on this episode. It's been uh. It's going to be a very interesting way to start off season three. So thank you. You bet, man. My pleasure. All right. We'll link up again. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you for sticking with us from the start of the episode. Please share our show with friends and family. Visit our YouTube channel and view more of our content on richstateofmind.com. See you next week on the Rich State of Mind show.